This is the Wisdom of the Fools podcast with Raven Satori and Sierra Chatterton, where they share their wisdom as the fools of the world. Forever the student, never the master. Keep moving forward. Welcome, everybody, to the fourth episode of Wisdom of the Fools. Welcome. And I am Raven Satori. And I am Sierra Chatterton. And we are going to be taking you on the quest through the mythology of Venus today. So mm-hmm. as we transition into this new form formation of our podcast, we are going to be going through the mythology that correlates with the energy of the month. So we're going to be taking these concepts of mythology and bringing them to some larger concepts here as to like how esoteric beliefs have been taken and appropriated by exoteric dogmatic religions and even just our society and how we operate on things. So with that said, we are going to jump right in to Venus and with Venus, we're going to be referencing a couple different gods because as you may know, with a lot of our polytheistic uh, belief systems, we have gods and goddesses who have many different forms and different areas of belief. Mm-hmm. So with Venus, we're going to be talking about, of course, Venus from Roman mythology. Another mm-hmm. one that you might be, most people are very um, knowledgeable of is Aphrodite mm-hmm. from the Greek mythology. Another goddess that I have heard a, a little bit of, but I was really happy to get into on this one, is Inanna uh-huh. from Sumeria. Then we have Ishtar from the Mesopotamian area, um, which is also going to like include Hathor, ancient Egyptians. And then we also have Ashtart which is Assyrio-Palestinian and Turin um, from the Etruscan mythology. (laughs) What a mouthful. (laughs) A whole mouthful. So these are just going to be some of the gods and goddesses that we're going to use their names kind of interchangeably for Venus. Right. So with that... Why there's going to be so much information on Venus, as we realized in our research, is because Venus is the brightest object in the sky, only third to the sun and the moon. So Mm -hmm. the ancients looked at this planet and could see this planet and watched this planet a lot. Yes. So there's a lot of mythology, a lot of stories, a lot of beliefs, a lot of systems that have kind of been created just off the energy of Venus. So we're going to dig in with that today. Mm -hmm. Um, Sierra, do you want to get into some of the aspects of Venus? Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump on in. So Venus, as most of us know, is the goddess of spring. She also governs fertility and creation. 
Um, she is the only planet with a female name. So we've got that very uh, feminine quality to her, um, which then, you know, connects us to the nature side of Mother Nature. Um, even her sigil is kind of feminine. It, it looks very similar to the female sex. Yeah, and we use that sign specifically to mm -hmm. even depict the female sex. So the, the circle with the bar down and the, the triangle there at the tip. We see that all the time juxtaposed to the Martian sign mm -hmm. from Mars. Again, referencing that whole women are from Venus, men are from Mars situation, which we're definitely going to dig into today. Right, absolutely. Thank you for that. She's also the goddess of grace, beauty, value, art, justice, equality, unconditional love, relationships, and illusion. Um, Venus is typically what we love and value in our life. And there is a contrast to this, um, but she holds both within her. Um, and they're both very, very present. Um, and we'll talk about that here in, in a little bit. But um, if you're looking at this in reference to tarot, she corresponds to our Empress card. Um, and so if you're curious, you want to dive in deeper with that, I definitely encourage you to kind of meditate on that card and sink a little bit deeper into the meaning of it. Um, we're kind of already going to be touching on some of those elements today. So you'll kind of get a little preview. Um, and then also something that one of my most, well, presently I'm listening to the Know Thyself podcast and something that they brought up that I just really resonate with in relation to Venus that I wanted to credit to them is all about looking through the lens of love. So having the lens to perceive the relationships we have with our other planets. Um, so for example, learning to love what they bring to us, expansion from Jupiter, drive from Mars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. So we're going to be getting into those through discussing some of our myths here. So we're going to yes. go through uh, Aphrodite's slash Venus's uh, origin story, which is definitely going to be adopted more so from that Roman Greek background. And then we're going to jump into some of the major myths. Mm -hmm. So the beautiful thing about. So we're going to go into some of the esoteric. Oh, uh... I got corrected. <laughs> I almost tried to skip. I got too excited. It's okay. That's so okay. That's okay. All the aspects that she just went through are very much like a lot of the aspects that we already know about Venus, yes, right? Yes. They're like very exoteric. They're kind of that kind surface, of surface level yes. <laughs> for sure. So yes. now we're going to get more into like the exoteric mm -hmm. thoughts on Venus. So let's go into that. All right. So we all know that she is the goddess of love. Uh, on the other side of that, we can see love and attachment to material things or form, matter. Um, so we're talking about, you know, the illusion of form, having 
that tendency to be drawn out by beauty or even, you know, uh, be mistaken um, on the surface level when there's something deeper there. You know, we see that a lot with Venus in some of the myths that we'll get into. Um, There's also this theme of vanity versus self-love. They're very, very different. Um, You know, self-love is unconditional. It's pure. It's it's good for us. Vanity is more of that. Chasing the dragon. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, And in the same aspect, you know, we see unconditional love versus like more of a controlling love. And we'll get into some of the myths that kind of bring that out, Um, you know, kind of getting into like the Trojan War and we'll be touching on that. Um, So further... We're getting into seeking pleasure and beauty over, you know, avoiding pain and ugliness. Um, there's destruction for creation. We we must, you cannot have one without the other. You know, there's that duality and the acceptance of both. Um, and then, of course, Venus, I'm not sure if a lot of people are aware of this, but she is depicted as a warrior in most traditions, except for uh, with Aphrodite. So, and and even with Aphrodite in certain areas, mm-hmm. was even still regarded as a goddess of war, and we'll kind of tip into that with mm-hmm. the uh, the Trojan War. Um, Aphrodite was worshipped in many different ways by different areas of Greece and the surrounding islands and such. So, yeah, she has this duality about her. Absolutely. And she, like, embodies them both, like, wholeheartedly. Like, she doesn't, like, push one off and and say, like, I don't want to be that. Like, no, she is that. And she's okay with being that. Like, she revels in it almost, you know? And so that's kind of, like, the lesson that we're learning from Venus is to not, you know, push our shadow away, but to more integrate it, to bring it in, and to then create from that, you know, from that wholeness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, we're going to kind of see that in these myths that I think was interesting for me while I was studying and we even discussed is like Venus slash Aphrodite goes for whatever she wants. There's mm-hmm. no hesitation Mm-mm. with this energy. Like there's a feeling of passion and she's going for it. Absolutely. So definitely, I I like that you brought a lot of those aspects up and seeing her in like a deep, a deeper realm, like seeing Mm -hmm. her as a whole person with this stark duality that a lot of us can't wrap our heads over around. And, Mm -hmm. and, And even something that as we're going to be tying into kind of these larger concepts and like dogmatic religion, dogmatic religion has like separate separated this creative destructor mm-hmm. it's yes. either the creator or the destructor yes and we're always we're always kind of putting down 
the darker side or the more difficult side. And that just leads to rejection of self, which then doesn't leave us whole, which we already are whole. It's just a matter of like recognizing that wholeness, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Spot on. Spot on. <laughs> Mic drop. We're done Beautiful. with the podcast. I'm pulling it from Know Thyself. <laughs> right? Like, I love when they're like, mic drop. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're bringing some mic drops in. So, we love it. So, now that we've gone over that, like, I, I, we're going to be touching on these aspects mm-hmm. throughout the whole entire thing. So, don't, don't feel like we're leaving you high and dry on this. Yeah. One. I did kind of breeze through them, but we are going to bridge them back when we talk about the myths. So yeah, we really want to lay these down <laughs> so that way we have a touch point for you guys. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's hop into the birth of Aphrodite slash Venus. Yes. So in in Greek we have in Greece we have these just highly respectable writers and poets, right? These are the people Absolutely. who wrote these mythologies down and kind of created the basis that well, of why we we know so easily to how to re- reference mm-hmm. Greek mythology is because of these poets. Yes. So we have uh, Hesiod. Hesiod is one of these highly respected writers in the Greek pantheon time, um, writing down a lot of these myths, writing about these gods and goddesses. So Hesiod's version of the birth of Aphrodite is very interesting because it kind of has to deal with this whole destruction for creation situation. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. That's literally how she's created. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's beautiful. So we have Uranus. Um, he is represent. He represents the heavens. He's the god of the heavens. So like a very high up, prestigious um, god here. He's the husband of Gaia, Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so as being this high up person, he's actually castrated by his son Kronos, who was we're now in like the Titan area era of the Greek pantheon. Mm-hmm. Um, before we reach into the Olympus time period. Mm-hmm. So, and actually kind of like the this crossover, and we'll see with the Trojan War, how like all of this kind of like ties in. Um, and how Aphrodite has such a big kind of push and kind of this pantheon switch. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, Kronos, also known as uh, Saturn, is he castrates his father, Uranus, um, and he throws his genitals into the sea. This is separating the heavens from the earth. Mm-hmm. So we're having this this moment of destruction. Like he's literally taken the the sex parts of the heavens mm-hmm. and taken them away from the mother Gaia. And thrown them to the sea. And out of his genitals coming hitting the sea starts this foam, this this froth. Mm-hmm. And Venus slash Aphrodite is birthed from the sea foam. The story is that she rides up to the island of Cyprus 
on a half seashell, Mm -hmm. guided by the winds and the water. When she arrives, roses bloom, myrtle is present. Everything just has a sense of birth and mm-hmm. and lightness and and color and life and so this is why we attribute roses mm-hmm. to venus as we discussed in our last episode two weeks ago um so this is huge like the this is the um painting by sandro bodio Bodio Celli. sorry for my pronunciation <laughs> um i think you did wonderful that this painting we know so well of Venus sitting on the the half shell um, that is an infamous painting from the Renaissance period, which we will be talking about as well because mm-hmm. Aphrodite has such an influence on the Renaissance period. Yes. So this was Hesiod's take on the birth of Aphrodite. But then we have Homer who obviously we all respect from the Mm -hmm. Iliad and the Odyssey. These are sometimes like the first Greek mythology books that people put their hands on is written by Homer. And uh, Homer actually says that Aphrodite is the daughter of Zeus and Dione. Um, in In book eight of the Odyssey, he describes this. Um... Even though he writes this, it's a little after Hesiod's version. Mm-hmm. So it's not as widely accepted. Um, so for argument's sake, we're going to go with Hesiod's account for mm-hmm. Aphrodite's birth. So now we have this goddess, Aphrodite. We know her aspects. Let's dive into some of the major myths. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so... The first one that I have for us is going to be the love affair between Mars and Venus, um, or Aries, if you're looking in the other (laughs) mythology. Uh, So Mars and Venus have always had that kind of relationship. Um, So now we're digging into that whole, like, Men are from Mars, right. women are from Venus. That correlation. This is where it's at. Mm-hmm. And as we, well, as most people know, Aries is, you know, kind of more uh, Aphrodite's equivalent as far as beauty goes. So um, we chose to talk about the capture of Aries. Um, essentially, Venus is married to... Hephaestus or Vulcan in Roman mythology and Hephaestus is not very attractive or beautiful he's the god of he's the god of metal urgy and like blacksmithing so like Mm -hmm. and he was even cast away from Olympia by his mother Hera because he was so ugly Mm -hmm. like and he's one of the only gods to ever make it back to Olympia afterwards. <laughs> so, like, he actually has some pretty, like, hardcore significance. Yeah. But he's a constantly, like, kind of labeled as this, like, beast-like god. Mm-hmm. And kind of, like, I guess as a joke or as we um, were discussing before we started recording, 
we think it was some Hera jealousy, <laughs> like, surface shit that was going on here. Oh, yeah. And Hera was like, oh, look at this beautiful Aphrodite. Pair her with this ugly <laughs> mofo that I right. tried to get out of here in the first place. So right. here's this weird freaking marriage of Aphrodite and Hephaestus. And yeah. Aphrodite cannot keep her legs closed. <laughs> she can't. She's always, we're going back to that, you know, illusion of beauty. She's always tempted by beauty. And uh, she also is tempted by her own vanity. You know, she sees her own beauty and she's like, well, what the heck? Like, why do I have to be with this ugly god like i want to be with my equivalent you yeah. know and so she does have many many love affairs but in this specific uh story uh you know we have some guards standing guard uh over the room as aries and venus are getting it on and eventually helios uh the god of the sun rises the guards are distracted and they don't notice so the god sees because he's the sun he sees all uh the light shines on their love affair and so he runs off to tell hephaestus who then sets this trap for them um he devises this really thin but uh strong net to capture them in action in bed and he does and they are humiliated for everyone to kind of laugh at and oh yeah <laughs> Hephaestus invites the whole pantheon like he invites yes. everybody in Olympus to stand there and poke fun at the fact that like Aphrodite was trying to like get it in with somebody of her stature yep like and and i i love greek mythology stories because they really humanize their gods right yes like oh, i love that. this is definitely the human form of the divine mm -hmm. they are valuable like they 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 have they have great failures they have great Faults. weaknesses and mm -hmm. faults like they aren't perfect and that is exactly right like, what, what makes them relatable? If, what makes we these were, lessons so powerful to us as humans, you know? If we were made in God's image, God's going to have some faults too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So, like, uh, I love this because we, as we kind of go through each of these, skim over these myths. Because mm -hmm. um, if we went into the whole stories, we'd be here for a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we just grabbed some of the real important ones. If you guys want to dig further, please do. There's also multiple versions of all of these myths. Mm -hmm. So take everything with a grain of salt. It's really what we're learning that we want to get at it, right? Right. It's and we always connection to that, like material love or that vanity yes. of like, okay, even, even Venus has, has that side that is, is is more earthly mm -hmm. and wants a, a good looking man to sleep with yes. instead of this dude who she doesn't see on her same plane. And we'll see that, that lesson time and time again, right? That she's working for this unconditional love. Mm -hmm. She's the mother of Cupid mm -hmm. who, who bestows unconditional love forcibly onto people. <laughs> yes. That's it's a whole that balance aspect. you know it's that <laughs> whole balance of like yeah i mean it, 
I mean, even Hephaestus here. Hephaestus mm-hmm. purposely embarrasses his wife. Mm-hmm. Which also, I don't know about you, but if I was married, I don't know, that's like putting your dirty laundry out. Like, there's like a vulnerability to that, too, because she is connected to you, you know? So. <laughs> and a, a little fact here that is a little, uh, does bring in some of this, Ares actually wasn't loved by all the other gods. He was a god of war, but Athena was favored as the goddess Mm -hmm. of war. So even though he was good looking and handsome, people didn't really care for him. (laughs) So like, could you imagine like the gossipy Olympians are like, oh my God, the the really super pretty one that everybody can't stand and Hera's super mad at and the other (laughs) super pretty one that we don't really care for Mm -hmm. are getting it on. Let's point at them and laugh. Absolutely. Okay. They took that opportunity. (laughs) That is rough. (laughs) Yep. So keep going with these myths. We're going to move on to Adonis and the hunt. Yes. So Adonis was born out of incest. Uh, The story goes that essentially one day Cupid... And Aphrodite are out in the woods. They see Adonis, and um, he. Uh, a, so Aphrodite is like enamored, looking at the man, thinking it's cute. Cupid yeah. starts sharpening, sharpening his arrow. And as Cupid like sharpens his arrow, he's talking to his mama. They get into a little like she's like, don't don't do this. Don't mess with this. This pretty young looking man. She gets poked by his arrow. (laughs) Whoops. Yes. Now Mama is in love with Adonis. And I mean, as we know, Adonis, we literally know this name as as marking a beautiful man. Right. So Mm -hmm. even though he's born of incest, he is one of the most beautiful Beautiful. people. People fawn over him because he looks like a god. Yes. So even the goddesses are are amused by this dude. So she falls in love, but she's not the only goddess that's Mm -mm. that's on the lookout. We have Persephone. And now Persephone is the goddess of the underworld, but she also gets some time up to, if I remember this correctly, is like meet with her mother, mother Demeter. Anywho, not the myth we're working on right now. (laughs) She splits her time between Hades and uh, and the the surface world. So as she's walking around, she sees her some Madonnas, Mm -hmm. and she's like, that's my man. I want that (laughs) while I'm on Earth, and Hades can't get to me. So now we have this battle of goddesses just like trying to take their time. So Zeus comes in, breaks it up, and goes, hey, all right, Adonis is going to spread his time. He's got three three parts of the year. One mm-hmm. part of the year goes with Aphrodite. Other part of the year, he's with Persephone. The other third, he gets to do whatever he wants. Okay, cool. So then, but we have Ares. Mm-hmm. Ares is, is Aphrodite's longtime muse, yes. longtime getting it in, friends with benefits here, okay? So he is not a smooth <laughs> man, all right? Like, he is jealous. He is angry. This is one of the only gods or goddesses who even pays attention to him, really. Mm-hmm. 
So he is territorial when it comes to Aphrodite. And so he plays a little trick. Adonis is a hunter. Mm -hmm. So he catches him while he's on the hunt. And he, let's say, enchants a boar to attack Adonis. And even though Adonis has made a promise to Aphrodite that he won't put himself in harm's way, he's a hunter. And he's a man. He wants to Mm -hmm. prove that he can get through it. So he stays in the fight with the boar. He ends up being punctured, being mortally wounded. And we have Aphrodite trying to save him. He dies in her arms. Yes. And so with this story, we have... That, un- that unconditional, unconditional love. love. Like, even though Aphrodite, you know, is promiscuous and has lots of lovers, she was touched by her son, Cup- uh, Cupid's arrow. And that arrow bestowed this unconditional love upon her that no matter what Adonis would do, even spend one third of the year with Persephone, mm-hmm. that that was her man. And it's even theorized that in his third of the year where he got to be by himself, that Aphrodite was around. (laughs) Yeah. So we have this unimaginable, unconditional love out of Aphrodite. And then here comes Ares with this serious condition. Like you can only be with your husband and me. No mm-hmm. one else. And comes in and sabotages the whole thing, right? Right. So coming back to those aspects of Venus and even Mars, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the relationship that Venus and Mars has together, very much this push and pull of, of like good cop, bad cop, and, you know, kind of this, this feminine mm-hmm. and masculine pull and push back and forth. Right. And so, yeah, we're just touching back to those aspects of Venus with these myths and like how kind of like how they tie in. Um, so then we have the judgment of Paris. Yes. You want to take that? One? Yeah. So this gets into how Venus is connected to the Trojan War and the start of the Trojan War. Um, she essentially... They were trying to determine who was the most beautiful, and Paris got to choose, but of course, uh, Aphrodite does a little trick, and she offers up Helen of Troy, who is already wed to King Mene... Say the word for me. (laughs) King... Manelis. It's probably wrong. Anyway, what you need to know is he's the king of Sparta. (laughs) (laughs) So she's already wed to the king of Sparta. But Paris is allowed to take her, and he does. And that results in the start of the Trojan War. So her little conniving shit started... A huge war. Yes. Literally turns the, the tides... Of the area at the time, like, mm-hmm. I mean, we have movies and stuff to this day on the Trojan War. Absolutely. My goodness, did, did Aphrodite stir <laughs> that pot? She yes. did stir the pot. I mean, first of all, them giving the option to Paris 
She was right. he was made to choose between Aphrodite, Hera, and Athena. That's a hard choice, man. Mm-hmm. You have the most beautiful, the queen of the gods, and the goddess of war. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to make that choice? <laughs> like, okay, so I'm either going to get killed, killed, or killed mm-hmm. if I don't choose one of these, right? And this pushes Hera <laughs> to then side with the Greeks in the Trojan War. Right. And because her and Venus have even... always had this tension. Because Hera's just jealous as all can be. Right. We'll have to do it. Hera episode, even <laughs> though she's not. I don't think she's connected to a ruling planet, but she would be fun to get into because she's just yes. a super jealous lady. Right, but I love how this kind of goes back to that war, that kind of like contrast with Aphrodite or Venus. You know, she is the goddess of love, and yet here she is causing war. Yeah. You know, like it's that destruction that duality <laughs> yes she she's the she has the ability to create love i mean literally birthed cupid mhm and she has the ability to create war mhm and we're even going to see she has the ability to even do more things that affect us humans even even more Mm-hmm. So it's it's intense, man. Here in the Aphrodite world, yes. <laughs> so we have a, like one more major myth that we want to go through, and that is the cursed child Priapus. So Hera, as we've already heard, enraged at being judged inferior to Aphrodite, ends up cursing her womb, um, and you know. She's at this point, she's there's we're not really sure who the father is of this child. It can be Dionysus, Zeus, which would relate to why Hera is kind of at you know, up and ends. Um, but she essentially curses Aphrodite's womb, and her son Priapus comes out hideous, or (laughs) as Raven was talking about earlier. (laughs) Yes, I want you to say it. (laughs) Okay, as we're researching, it says that this man was depicted with an oversized and permanent erection. Like, well, he couldn't have been that bad looking now, could he? (laughs) She at least gave him something positive. Well, you know, she is the goddess of fertility, so... (laughs) I just, I'd love that this is all coming around this. <laughs> oh, good. And vanity. And you got right. some vanity there, too, you know? Like, mm-hmm. some dudes, you know, pride themselves on the, the working of, of those materials. Absolutely. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Uh, those are our major myths that we really wanted to touch base on. Yeah, because they, they all, like, kind of, they, they chime back to a lot of these aspects of venus that we were talking about they show her good they show her bad they show Mm -hmm. her destruction they show her creation and like kind of just wanted to like spark inspiration in you guys to kind of dive into some of the myths if you'd like absolutely absolutely and as i was talking about the empress card 
or how this relates to the Empress card, um, you will see if you study that card, the significance of that destruction for creation. Um, so I definitely encourage you to dive in deeper with that. Um, ask yourself even what your relationship to your own creation is, you know? Uh, so, yeah. I love what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, I'm just pausing and giving that a moment to set in. Yeah. Last week on a personal note, Raven gave me a fantastic reading and it literally talked about that um she did a three card poll and the first card represents my higher self and the other two cards were more of you know the contrast yeah it's your conscious and subconscious thank you yes very much so and literally what she pulled out of that reading is that energy of accepting both being able to hold destruction and creation you know that contrast within yourself so you move from the high priest the high priestess card then going into this empress where she is the embodiment of holding both of those so I just really loved like that this all came up as we were studying this like it hit me so hard so I just wanted to do a little side note there no I mean at heart it it, it applies because this is how it is applying to us in real life right Sierra has nothing but Venus placements in her top yes. three so it's a big it's, theme for me right now. And it's going to be prevalent for anybody who has Venus placements in their big three mm -hmm. or in their first house. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be interesting for, for us here that, that have those placements. Um, right. Seeing this duality, seeing the the fact that you are the, the creator and the destroyer and that mm -hmm. all of that within one is a positive yes. like and that that just the destruction or i mean even some of the games that we see aphrodite playing mm -hmm. that that isn't it isn't necessarily her shadow self yeah it's not a negative thing she just truly is a hundred percent herself yeah, like it, no result no she couldn't holding back. be the beautiful woman who then birthed cupid without creating the those moments of destruction without starting the the trojan war mm -hmm. you know like it, there's you can't have, have one a, without the other she couldn't have had a son with a, a permanent erection without right. starting the trojan war <laughs> um there's that but and i mean as you go through the story of the trojan war and you see like the outcomes and you go through like through that you'll see a lot more of these aspects of venus and how they apply to yes. that period of time and what happened mm -hmm. um so yeah so like as we i love that you said that and thank you i am yeah always honored to give people tarot readings mm -hmm. um and it was so great to be able to sit with you and do that yeah so yeah it was nice. I appreciate it because she not only read my cards, but she held space for the realizations that I was having. And it hit me hard because this is a lesson that I have to learn over and over again. You know, that they're going back to that perfectionist side of me. I don't want to acknowledge 
the lazy parts of myself or the unproductive parts of myself or the parts of myself where, you know, I'm not showing up the way I want everyone to see me. So um, it is so healing to have a friend literally look me in the eye and say, like, you are perfect the way you are. Like, you're accepted all, you know. Um, it's just, yeah. We were we got were me working. pretty choked up, you know. <laughs> we're working on our unconditional love this month. Yes, mm. we are. We got it within ourselves to others. So it was just perfect that it came up this way, you mm. know. And she also um, encouraged me to like really sink into like a gratitude practice, you know, being grateful for how far I've come and being grateful for the other aspects of myself that I don't usually give credit to, you and know? what did we talk about last episode? Finding the beauty in and truth, yes. my friends. This is huge this month. This is huge. I yes. can't stress it enough. And that's that's even what we're looking at in these myths is is finding the beauty within truth as we get mm-hmm. into this next segment. Um, where we're going to actually connect the stories and beliefs of of Aphrodite and Venus to the the dogmatic, yeah, uh, exoteric religions and how it's been taught to us that we can find a space of safety once we find out the truth that yeah. lies behind the dogma. Mm-hmm. So with that, I'm going to jump right in if you don't mind. Heck yeah. To it, our Lucifer connection here. So I this was one of my favorite things that I learned this whole entire Me too. This whole entire this thing. like this was... really hit me hard because I come from like a very strict Christian background. So when she was relaying what she learned about this, I was like, this is freaking gold. Like this is shifting so much within that used to be dictated by fear and now is opened up through curiosity. So dive in girl. I'm excited. All right. So back to the Greeks. Um, they had three names for the planet Venus. So they were to be able to see the Venus in the morning and in the evening. So it started off with two names. In the evening, we had Hesperus. And in the morning, it was known as Phosphorus. Mm -hmm. Then as they realized that this light in the sky was potentially the same object, they then named it Aphrodite. Mm Mm-hmm. So now as we change from the Greeks into the Roman religion. Before you move on, I want to make a little connection. I always thought it was very interesting that they eventually saw the pattern, the way that Venus rose and the way that she fell and came back after, you know, three days or whatever it is. And so... That's essentially kind of what you're, when you talk about the Empress card, the pattern within form, you know, so. Definitely, definitely. Fun little connection there. Too, for sure. 
So like I've actually, if you wake up really early in the morning, I, I did it a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. um, because literally my partner came inside. He had like gone <laughs> and looked outside early in the morning and he was like, there's this really, really bright star in the sky. <laughs> and I looked at him, I go, I bet you it's Venus. And he was like, no way. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, as I'm studying this uh -huh. right now, um, I bet you it's Venus. So we walk out and I get my little star finder app and sure shit, it's Venus. So we got to stand there and, and look at Venus in her morning aspect, in her phosphorus aspect, yes. which in Roman times, phosphorus translates into Lucifer. Mm-hmm. The light bringer, the morning star. Yes. So, like, I, I was sitting there just staring at <laughs> Venus going, like, wow, <laughs> Lucifer, morning star. Like, this was the beauty before the dogma. Yes. Beauty before the fall. And, and, uh, just mind-blowing so i highly suggest if you're ever like up around sunrise go outside look to the east and you will see venus it's going to be like the brightest thing that you can see other than the sun it's absolutely amazing and for us jupiter was in the west mm -hmm. so we were getting to see venus and jupiter super awesome experience um so definitely highly suggest that so now we're in Roman belief system. We've now changed Hesperus, the evening aspect of Venus, into Vesper, and Phosphorus becomes Lucifer. So yes. during this time period, we have the, as, or I should correct myself here. Choo choo. As we have like the fall of Rome, we have the king of Babylon. So as we have this like fall uh, and loss and disappearance of a lot of Roman and Greek belief systems and stories and mm -hmm. writings, we have Christianity coming up to, to arise. And they aren't the most fond of the king of Babylon because the king of right. Babylon this is where a lot of his <clears throat> beliefs all still lie yes. right so the king of Babylon was actually thought to be within the lineage of Venus gods and goddesses which makes sense you right? know so in many religions we know that our Yes, and very a lot of religions we know that a lot of our kings were connected to lines of gods and goddesses, right? So the king of Babylon was connected to this lineage of Venus. So Christianity takes this idea of Lucifer, the morning aspect of Venus, the light bringer, the morning star, and twists it on its head. And now makes it the name for the devil. Mm -hmm. And so we theorize that this could either have been an incorrect translation. We'll give them innocence <laughs> and say maybe it was an incorrect translation and they just they didn't they didn't quite get it. Right. Or. 
we can look at it the fact that they were trying to demonize the king of Babylon. Mm -hmm. Which, if we look further into Christianity and further into, like, the where Mother Magdalene comes from um, or where Mary Magdalene comes from, it is very much prophesized that she was the, quote, whore of Babylon. Mm -hmm. That, That she was this favored lady in Babylon. And then she becomes the Virgin Mary. So we have this appropriation of these polytheistic beliefs where they're twisted and contorted to fit this exoteric religion that wants to teach you how to believe. Right. Not just what to believe. Like polytheism told you, believe in these gods. It didn't tell you how to believe in those gods. You were allowed to do that in whatever way see fit. That's why we see different practices in different areas. Mm-hmm. But Christianity and dogmatic exoteric religions, want they tell you how There's to There's only one way. Exactly. It's this way or the highway. Exactly. Or in their case, hell. <laughs> And when we look at the fact that, okay, if we're looking at if Lucifer is Venus, Mm -hmm. then he is the destroyer and the creator. Mm -hmm. He is love. Right? Like, mind-blowing for me, honestly, on this aspect, because... Uh, I actually, I do watch, I, I don't know uh, if you, we've never talked about this. Mm-hmm. The show Lucifer on Netflix, absolutely freaking amazing. It, I've heard of it. I've never watched it. Girl, it takes aspects of this whole, like they call him Lucifer, Morning Star, yes. Lightbringer. Uh, they reference all of these original names of the Roman aspect of Venus. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the concepts they bring in are just absolutely mind-blowing. And it's one of the things that got me in a little bit further into looking at these things from Mm -hmm. kind of like the hermetic aspect of thinking that there is one theology within all religions, right? Right. That they all point to the same thing, essentially. Exactly. And the more that I study it, this is exactly what we're talking we're talking about situations right here where we have three different belief systems the greek the romans and now christianity Mm -hmm. all kind of following one line and then it gets twisted by this exoteric religion of of christianity and like if you Mm -hmm. go back to like the rosicrucian uh the rosicrucianists these are I, I I will say in my own opinion, the purest Christian Christians, right? They, these are people who who understand where their religion came from. The connection. So they still they still very. I mean, a lot of Hermetics believe in Rosicrucianism. So believing that that one theology from all religions. Mm-hmm. So. It, there are still people who who know this wisdom. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because in my own search, you know, I, I went from being a very cr- strict apostolic Pentecostal Christian um, to then kind of 
backing away from the intensity of that to more of like a kind of relaxed Christian <laughs> to then through research and studying on my own, because I've always been a truth seeker. Like, I don't care what the truth is. I just want to know what it is. Doesn't even matter if it makes me wrong or I've realized I've been wrong for years, you know, like I'm okay with that, but I want to know the truth. And so through my research and I've talked to many, many other people in, you know, my spiritual journey who have resonated with this as well, you can start to see that pattern, you know, you can start to see that things are all related and we kind of all do believe the same kind of core things. It's just small things are kind of twisted and taken and, and expanded upon and then it creates this whole other bridge or branch and we're not really understanding that the core of it is all the same. You know, so me and my own research and my own journey, like that's something that I stumbled upon myself. And so for you to bring it in like this is like full circle. Like it's just almost like a resonance. Like, yes, like I knew this, but I didn't know how I knew it, but I just could feel it, you know. So I love this. I, when people tell you how to believe and then they demonize an entity so hard, if you have any... A instinctual level of discernment. Yes. Oh, I love that you're going into this. That you're going to see, you're going to be rubbed a little the wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. Like. If your feelers are on, you should feel it, you know? Yeah, when, when somebody, <laughs> I mean, we even, like, see it on just regular, every old day TV, you know, or on the news. When you flip on something and somebody is just, like, dogging somebody down mm -hmm. and just like tearing them apart you're just like eh, is there something that's like pushing you to do this like I feel right. like you got a personal vendetta or something right. you're just like I don't know if it this doesn't is make what... you trust it yeah you're you just know? like I don't think this is what everyone should believe kind of situation yeah. you know uh and this I think that that harkens back to that where I think especially for people who are raised mm -hmm. in an exoteric dogmatic religion that you're so young, you still have that pure innocence. You still have that enlightenment kind of coming down on you full, like without any conditions that are barriers that have been built. So when you have that stuff shoved down your throat, there's more apt to question right mm -hmm. so yeah I mean when and that goes for for anything that goes for mysticism too that that yes. goes to, to esotericism <clears throat> if anyone ever like grabs onto a topic and just demonizes it that is something personal within them that they right. gotta take care of remember if they're not able to hold both there's something that maybe they haven't worked through or something they're not holding within themselves. They're you know? not seeing the, tr the, the, the beauty within the truth. Exactly. They can't see the, the, the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that goes for anything. I think that goes for, for if you're, you're working with a healer or, mm -hmm. uh, or anyone of any kind like that. If, 
Even like a coach. I yeah. mean, bring it over to what I do as a personal trainer. I can't tell you how many clients come to me and they're demonizing certain foods or sugar or this or that. And while there are certainly foods of less value and foods that aren't necessarily good for you, um, I think to go to that extreme and say none of that, like that is destructive too instead of taking a more balanced view and being like okay like there's a place for that well there's it it also just goes to show just for the fact that you're focusing on verbalizing the negative instead of the positive Mm -hmm. not I love all of these foods that I get to eat they're all from the earth and they're delicious have you ever tasted a peach in heightened season like will bring you to the gods and back like uh, i i i have i have a whole situation with peaches especially since moving here to california where we grow some of the best like peaches plums all that kind of stone Mm -hmm. fruit oh my god my first like california peach from a (laughs) farmer's market was an esoteric experience um i was like oh my god i'm eating the fruit of the gods like this is this makes sense um but yeah like even just the fact that you're like your mind is focusing on what you can't have or what you Mm -hmm. won't eat or what you can't do Yes. That just means that, like, we're, we're, that's where we're putting our energy. We're in that black and white again, you know? Yes. And that's what you're focusing on is, is not the, the positives of, like, oh, I get to eat all of this wonderful things. Mm hmm. It's, you're focusing on what you can't have and, and demonizing. And when we put our energy on those type, we're purposely putting our energy on things that we perceive as lower energy, lower frequency. Right. I love that you're saying this. Yes, absolutely. And, and and what does that say about our ourselves, our current mental state, mm-hmm. our current spiritual state? We're not aligned with love. Yeah, like this is what Venus is here to teach us is is finding that beauty in truth. Again, I'm going to hammer it again and again and again. Because this is the major esoteric lesson here with Venus, for sure. And I mean, if you bringing it into kind of your next note, Raven, even Jesus. Yeah. How did he treat people? He did not differentiate and say, you're a peasant or you're, you know, higher up. Like he accepted everyone. He is literally the, the definition of unconditional love. You know, and yet here we have this history of Christianity being kind of judgy and kind of black and white and kind of, you know, very, they're very persecuting and just not very accepting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of going exactly against Venus energy, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And so since you referenced it, we do have a little connection with our resurrection story with Jesus with Venus. So Venus is, again, so bright in the sky that the ancients watched this planet. So every morning when it rised, they looked at it. And every morning they started noticing that it was moving. Mm-hmm. And it, it was moving in a, in a downward fashion. And this is because what we know now is that Venus actually has a very awkward orbit around 
the sun. And what this orbit does is it makes it look as though Venus disappears. Mm-hmm. It goes from a higher point in the sky to a lower point into the sky to the point where you can't see it. And then it returns around three days later. Right. And so we have this story here that the Sumerians even knew. And mm-hmm. they watched Venus, which for them was Inanna. And they watched Inanna fall down. And in their story, Inanna falls down to the depths of hell. And comes back and returns three days later. Mm-hmm. And in the Egyptian counterpart, or the Mesopotamian counterpart here is Ishtar. And as as we have been, I think, as a collective society, more so second-guessing where some of these Christian re- religions that are now built into our society have come from, I've started to see more of these references to Ishtar on Easter. On Easter. Mm-hmm. So this is this is why Ishtar Easter mm-hmm. is a thing. Because Ishtar was Venus who dipped and disappeared for three days and returned rebirthed. Right. So powerful right there. <laughs> God damn it. Like yeah. uh, I don't you like Again, tying it back to that dogmatic religion and how they have kind of interpreted that. And now we're seeing this outside connection to something that has origins further than Christianity. And manipulating. I mean, we're going back to Mesopotamia. We're going back to the first civilizations we know of. Mm -hmm. These people created this knowledge that this entity would fall and be resurrected. And then the story gets adopted and adopted and adopted till we're sat with Jesus is resurrected three days later. And now we celebrate Easter mm-hmm. and, and all these things. And I'm like, damn it. Like, uh, the more I, I always, always, I this has been... We're kind of we're kind of like right in the realm of what brought me to spirituality as a young child. Mm-hmm. Even just being interested in it was through the study of Greek and Egyptian mythology. Um, when I was very very young, we did like a project on on Greek on Egyptian mythology, um, and I was just enamored. And my dad was really into Greek mythology and. I started seeing some of these connections in the stories where I was like, hey, wait, that's kind of like how Christianity touts mm-hmm. it, but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then I get into paganism and I'm like, oh, wait, look at all these holidays that we now celebrate on different dates. Right. Okay. <laughs> so like, this has kind of always been, this is what eventually led me to hermetics and the occult was because on my own, I believed that there was one theology within all religions. Mm -hmm. 
I was like, wait, all this shit ties in way too, too much. Like, yeah. yeah. And then when you look at how it's been manipulated by these exoteric dogmatic religions, I'm like, oh, you know there was some truth there. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. people don't spin shit on its head and then force it down people's throats and make people change their belief systems to fit theirs without trying to brush some shit under the rug. Mm-hmm. And here's the shit that we were brushing under the rug. <laughs> And that's going to bring us right into actually how I kind of want to close this episode. And that is going to be referencing how Aphrodite slash Venus brings us the Renaissance. Yeah. (laughs) And so, like, we all know the Renaissance as this period in which Christianity kind of found its first crack. Mm hmm Where we had these these brilliant minds absolutely brilliant minds i uh, for reference we're also talking about the the time period in which we have the development of tarot we have western mystery schools that a lot of these people who we like michelangelo and and even botticelli and these are people who most likely were part of these mystery schools Mm mm-hmm and we're taking part of formulating a lot of the things that, that we talk about now here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and on a day-to-day in our own friendship. Because Absolutely. these were the people who, although respected Christianity, knew that there was something more. Yes. And so we have this this period of time where... You know, Rome has fallen. By this time, Babylon is also on its way out. Mm -hmm. Um, Constantinople is about to get ransacked. And in this time period, we have um, a man by the name of Poggio. P-O-G-G-I-O. He is an Italian scholar. And he goes to Germany and kind of in search of texts, ancient texts that may be, you know, lost. And what he finds there is the nature of things written by Lucretius. And within the, the nature of things, there is an address to Aphrodite. And in this address to Aphrodite, it's just like this absolutely beautiful poem about the, the beauty that Aphrodite brings to the world, right? And so he takes this copy of The Nature of Things, which has now been lost to Italy for quite some time. And he brings it back to Florence. And with bringing this piece of writing back to Florence, in what we think is the same time that Constantinople is falling, and some of these writings from that area are now migrating themselves to Italy as well, we see the birth of the Renaissance. Mm Mm-hmm. And so through this poem about 
Venus, people are brought unconditional love, art, expression, Mm -hmm. self-love, self-love to a deepest point so that way they could Mm self-express. The the gull and the balls that Aphrodite has to do whatever she wants. Right. They're breaking out. They, this, this energy was brought with this piece of writing, right? And, and she liberates these great minds that influence us until this very day. We still, like, we still look at the Renaissance and things that were written and painted and sculpted, created, creation, within this time it was like a burst of creation and we still hold it in the most high regard Mm -hmm. these are like some of the first things that we study as kids yes when we go and look at art when we go and look at history we're Mm -hmm. looking at at michelangelo and we don't even realize that we are looking at esotericism at its finest Mm-hmm. We get that little exoteric outside look of it, but when we stare into the work of these beings and during this time, they were going against the grain and a lot of them sacrificing their potential lives to express. Yes. And and look at Aphrodite and the stories we said about her. Like, she was willing to be embarrassed by her husband mm-hmm. to express the love that she had for Ares. Right. And it's just, uh, I I don't know about you, but studying this really just like, ooh, blew my mind. Yes, literally was doing the mind bloom. Right? It's just absolutely crazy. And I'm just honored that we get to study this information and share it with people. And yeah, it's really, really great. I'm Um, learning a lot. I, I obviously learned a lot of mythology when I was in school, but touching back on these things, um, it's been nice, you know, like, it's almost like, like just what you said, you, you get a little taste of it, but you don't really see like the, all the, the depth of the significance, you know? And so as we're reread, well, as I'm rereading these myths and re, uh, associating myself with them and the themes of that they highlight, um, I'm also kind of, you know, looking back at the eyes I was looking at it through back then, because I was a different person back then. I was very strict Christian. So there was this level of like almost pushback. (laughs) Um, And now that I'm much more open-minded, I feel like I'm able to make those connections and actually see the truth for what it is instead of like 
you know, the illusion of what I've been made to believe. So I love that. Absolutely. And uh, with that, I wanted to actually give you guys the last two lines of Lucretius's address to Venus. And this is something that you can totally just look up. Um, look up Lucretius um, address to Venus or even just the, uh, the nature of things. And so the last two lines I think are just so important because like this, imagine yourself reading this as a Roman right before the Renaissance sparks. Everything's kind of been stripped. The Roman beliefs of multiple gods has been like buried below buildings that have been built atop of them almost, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so much of this information is lost. And then here comes this book that so many thought were gone. And they read this a little lengthy poem, but absolutely beautiful to read. And the last two lines are, With winning elegance our peace implore, and quiet to the weary world restore. Mm. <laughs> Holy shit, no matter, like, no wonder the Renaissance appeared shortly after this book reappears in Italy. Well, friends, we ended up running out of storage. <laughs> we are definitely still learning this whole process and figuring everything out. So all things are perfect, and that is perfectly fine. So that is the end of episode four. We were lucky enough to get all of the info in for you guys. So we will see you again for next month's numerology report and that is for October lots of things coming in there so from myself Raven Satori and from Sierra thanks for stopping by thanks for listening and we will see you again mm -hmm.